All right. Our reading for today comes from Colossians. Whoa. All right. No, it's all right, Charlie. Uh, some, at some point when something happens, I'm just going to go, sorry, Charlie, because my mom used to say that to me when I made a mistake. Anyways, but that wasn't a mistake. It's okay. All right. Our reading for today comes from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 18. It's the very last section of the book of Colossians, and it reads, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, Tisicus will tell you all of the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear friend, who is uh, one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, Archicus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is actually called Justice, also sends greetings. These are only Jews. Um, excuse me. <laughs> uh, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from the Laodiceans. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I read that because I didn't want to inflict that on anybody. So I'd, I realized that I would have to give somebody a good week and a half's uh, lead time in order to read that passage of Scripture, and so I said I will take one for the team this morning. So today we are finishing up the last uh, in a series of sermons that we're calling Jesus Over Religion. And we were, this summer we were traveling through the book of Colossians. It's this little book. It's kind of a lesser-known book that Paul wrote to, the, to a small house church in Colossae. Uh, some scholars say there were as many as 12 to 15 people who were probably in this church in Colossae. And we've been looking specifically at uh, the big ideas that Paul is, is kind of taking out in this particular book. It's been uh, good. I really enjoy traveling through the entirety of a book. I, I love preaching through a book of the Bible. It helps me understand both what I'm going to preach every week, and it keeps me grounded, in a sense, uh, in the text, in the scriptures. But what often can happen when we go through a book like this is that we can kind of go verse by verse, we can kind of, and we can somewhat get lost in the verse by verse nature of the book. 
You see, it's very easy to simply uh, miss the forest for the trees, in a sense. When you, when you study a book, when you preach what they call exegetically, when you preach passage by passage by passage, you can kind of uh, go through the book with a fine-tooth comb and be pulling out uh, little, little, actually even little sentences and preach entire messages on these sentences. And what you kind of do is you miss the forest for the trees, you miss the big ideas, the big concepts that uh, we find in the scriptures. And you might actually, when we're getting overly focused on a little verse or a little passage or a little section, miss the entire uh, narrative arc that that book or the big ideas within that book uh, fall within. You see, the Bible is one big story. It's, it's one long narrative, and it's all about Jesus. But when we, get, when we go through these books with a fine-tooth comb and we get uh, overly focused on just uh, a little passage or a little idea, we can make very peripheral things central, and we can make kind of central things somewhat peripheral. I think in, everybody's seen in their lives at some point where there's, a, there's an idea or a phrase that might be even a little peripheral to the main idea of a book or a passage of Scripture, and somebody will focus on it, and they'll, they'll just hum in on it, and they can't get off it. And what happened, and that's, that's a problem, really. Because if we lose sight of the narrative, the grand narrative of Scripture, then in some real and true sense, we lose sight of what God is trying to communicate to us through the entirety of the Bible, not just in a little passage. We have to keep everything in context. We have to understand the narrative of Scripture. And because this uh, narrative style approach to Scripture is really important, uh, next week, we're beginning a series we're calling One Big Story, where we'll just be walking through the story. We'll be walking through the Bible in its kind of broad strokes in order to help us understand what that big story of the Bible is and how we fall within it, how the church, how you and I, in some real and true sense, find our place, find our vitality in life as we find our role to play in the story that is unfolding in the Scriptures. Does this make sense? And so that next week, that's what we'll be doing, and I'm pretty excited about it. It'll probably take us six or eight weeks. It'll probably take us up to about um, November, and then we'll do a November series, and then we'll have Christmas. Can you believe that's happening? So students, I already, I already made a reference to finals, okay, <laughs> on your first Sunday back at school. Great. Um, but even as we look at the entirety of the New Testament, even as we look at the book of Colossians, we have to kind of catch, uh, we have to catch the big idea, right? We have to catch the big idea that is being communicated in each particular book. And Paul, in the book of Colossians, builds the entirety of this book of Colossians. If you were with us earlier in the sermon series, you'll know this. He builds the entirety of the book of Colossians around this one poem. I have a very shiny Band-Aid, so you can pay attention. He had this one poem, right? This one hymn that he writes to the church. He, does, he begins this hymn or this poem uh, at, the, at the very beginning of Colossians, in, in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And it is the most important thing in this book. I think we have it on the screen, right? Yes, we do. And if you walk away with one thing from this series, I want you to walk away with this passage of Scripture, if there's one thing that we, you kind of put into your heart and you allow to transform you, it's, I hope it's this passage of Scripture. And this morning, in order to help us do that, I want us to recite this passage of Scripture together because it is a hymn. It is an ancient Christian song. And as you know, songs are meant to get stuck 
in your head, right? And so this morning, what I want to do is uh, recite this together. Is that good? Some people get very nervous about reciting things together in groups of people, but I know you can do it, all right? Let's, let's read. I'll look at the screen so we're all on the same page. Ready? The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Where there are things on earth, there are things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you're not a Christian, oh, that wasn't supposed to be in there. <laughs> That's all right. If you're not a Christian... And you, uh, and you want uh, a decent summation of what Christians believe, this is a great place to start. It really is. <laughs> it would have been great if we recited that together. <laughs> it would have really driven my point home. Uh, but it is. It's a tremendous place to start. It really and truly is. This, if you allow this truth, this reality about who Jesus is to get into your heart, to get into your mind first, right? Because it needs to be kind of uh, tumbled over in your head like a bunch of rocks being tumbled and smoothed over. Uh, if you allow this to get into your heart, if you allow it to get in your mind, it will transform you. It really and truly will. As you come to fuller knowledge, fuller revelation even of who the person of Jesus is and how his being works itself out in the cosmos, as you come more and more to that realization, you will be changed. I promise. And so read this, read this passage of scripture, recite it to yourself, write it down. It will transform you. It really and truly will. So if you've been with us from, for any uh, period of time during this sermon series, you'll, you'll know that we talked about this particular passage, and we talked about how this passage, that this, this hymn, this poem that Paul talks about at the beginning of Colossians really uh, forms or structures the rest of the book. It, it gives contour or shape to what is happening throughout the rest of the book of Colossians. And Paul, operating off of this truth about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the son, that he's the image of the invisible God, that he's the firstborn over all creation, then moves on to make essentially two different points. So, if you haven't been with us, this is kind of the previously on version of the sermon series. All, the, all of the, the television shows that I like the most have really dense previously on kind of little snippets because they're very complicated shows. That's why, it's why Lost was so much fun for us. Did anybody watch Lost? Three, three people. Okay. Everybody go home. It's, it's on Netflix, people. Watch it and be confused. Anyways, so, uh, so in Colossians, Paul builds off this poem, and he essentially makes two points. So if you want a very quick summation of what the book of Colossians is all about, you can write this down. The first thing he tells uh, the Colossian church, he tells them that Jesus is greater than religion. He tells them that Jesus is greater than religion. 
And what he says essentially here is that Jesus is greater than any religious ritual that can help you earn God's favor. And he says that Jesus is greater than any kind of quasi or new agey spiritual practice that promises to give you some type of secret knowledge. You see, in, in Paul's day, everybody was fighting to gain kind of secret or supreme knowledge. And they, were, they would go away from the truth of, of who Jesus was, and they would try to latch on to other kind of religious forms or structures. They would, they would try to kind of glom on to other things. And Paul was kind of tr- calling them back from these other religious practices, from these kind of quasi-forms of spiritual enlightenment. And he was calling them back to the person of Jesus. So that's the first thing he says. And the second thing he says, he's reminding them that Jesus is the Lord or, that, or King, so that they can remember to live in line with his kingdom. He reminds the church that living as a Christian means to live under, right, under the lordship of Jesus, to live as though he is king, even though most of the people in Colossae at this time could not yet see it. So this is what Colossians is all about, and this is why Paul is writing to this little church that he has actually never even visited before. In our passage for today, Paul is transitioning out of the body of the mess- out of the body of this letter, and he's transitioning into his final points. He's making his kind of final appeal to the to this house church in Colossae. And after all of this kind of dense theological unpacking that he does, after all of these uh, arguments that he makes for the person of Jesus and how following Jesus impacts all the other ways that we live our life out in the world, after all of that, how do you think Paul chooses to end this letter? What does he do? Why does he choose to end this letter the way he does? He ends this little profound book by striving to strengthen the bonds of relationship that he has with the church. He wants to strengthen his relationship to the Colossians. And he gives us, I think, some really deep insight into how, how we can strengthen relationship and why, to, to, in a real and true sense, why relationship is so important in the church. Why, why real, true, strong, biblical relationships are such significant things within the life of a Christian. Paul was writing to a church that was small, right? They were like 12 people, 15 people max. And, he was, and he's writing to them, and he's telling them to figure out their lives, right? To, to help them follow Jesus well. And at the end, he closes by, by essentially saying, and I want to be in better relationship with you. And I think he gives us some keys to doing this. But this idea of relationship, this idea of being in relationship, this idea of being in community is something that I think in our day and age, in our culture even, we are struggling with. We live in a very relationally fractured time, I would argue. So when is the last time any of you saw a group of boys playing soccer in the backyard in a neighborhood? This is something I grew up doing a lot. It's some, but it's something we're seeing in an, here's what I'll say, in an unorganized way, right? They're not all wearing jerseys and their parents aren't really mad. Like their parents aren't even around, right? They're just playing soccer or throwing the football around. It's something that's happening less and less. When is the last time you simply ran into a neighbor on a walk around the neighborhood? And, talked, and stopped and kind of got sidetracked and talked for 30 minutes, right? These are things that used to be 
happening all the time. And now in our culture, in, some, in many ways, are not happening as often. We are becoming relationally fractured. There's this political scientist, his name's Robert Putnam, uh, and he wrote a book called Bowling, Bowling, as in bowling, alone. And in this book, Putnam outlines all the ways that the relational bond of modern Western society is eroding. Uh, Putnam calls this social capital, is the word he puts on it. Uh, and he lays out how uh, a community's actual physical health, so the, the, the actual health of people in the community, along with uh, the health of local education, the economic strength of a community, and the, just the overall experience of well-being in a community are directly tied to the amount of um, relationship equity or social capital that a, that a community experiences. So the, the strong bonds of relationship that exist within a community have very direct effects on the overall health of that community. And in uh, Bowling Alone, Robin, Robert Putnam kind of lays this out for us. And he calls the book Bowling Alone because the kind of defining metaphor that he uses to describe this breakdown in American or Western society, it, he uses the, the trend of uh, the decrease in 10-pin bowling leagues as a kind of caricature, not a caricature, but as a, as a descriptor of how the relational bonds in our culture have kind of fallen apart. Um, I don't know that many people who are in bowling leagues anymore, do you? They're, they're fewer and fewer, right? You didn't know bowling leagues are so important, did you? They are. They're incredibly important. And we all feel this, right? We all feel the kind of fractured nature of our society culturally. Kids are still connecting, but they're not doing it in a flesh and blood way, right? They're doing it over Xbox Live, uh, and many of us, right, have been in some real sense socially crippled by the lack of relationship in our communities. We, 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 struggle to even, um, we struggle to even have kind of tertiary relationships with people in our neighborhoods, right? We struggle to even have like um, very nominal relationships with people who live across the fence from us. This is a problem in our society and it's becoming worse. I really think it is. But when we neglect relationships, we're, I would argue that we're not just neglecting something that is central to what it means to be human, right? I don't just think that when we neglect relationships, both in the church and outside of the church, that what we're doing there is something that's just hurting our community. It is hurting our community when we do that. But I also think that we're neglecting something that is very central to the heart of God, something as... Uh, in evangelical church circles, we're used to hearing this word. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with us, right? We're used to hearing this word. And at the same time, we forget that God longs for us to be connected to him and to other people, right? That God wants to have a personal relationship with us, but he also wants us to have personal relationships with other people. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, when, he, when Jesus says this, he, he's replying to uh, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of his day. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There is no such thing as a spiritual person who has no friends. 
And yet, sometimes it seems that church might be one of the best places, right, to go if we really don't want to talk to anybody. Not our church, right, because you all have meet and greet, and Ashley has a hard time making you be quiet. (laughs) But this is a problem at times. I would tell you that I want this for our church, that this community of Jesus followers, that we would be students in the biblical art of relationship. I want people to say things like, yeah, you know, I went to lunch with Susie, and what I was going to talk, what I wanted to talk to her was about was the weather, but by the end, we were both crying. I don't know. She just gets me, right? These are the types of conversations I would like people to have about us. I would like this to be said about us, and I, I, I want it to be said about us so much that I put it up on the screen. Maybe. There it is. Grace Community is a church that understands that to be rightly reconciled to God means we are working to be reconciled to other people in relationship. That we are working, not always perfectly, right? Because we're flawed and there's people that don't like us, but we are working to be reconciled to other people in relationship. And I think Paul, in his concluding words to the Colossian church, has some profound things to say to us about the art of strong biblical relationships, how we build strong biblical relationships. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can grab them and turn back to Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through 6, and we'll kind of walk through this passage together this morning and see what we can glean. So this is what Paul says in verses 2 through 6. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think the first piece of wisdom that Paul gives us this morning about how to build strong relationships is prayer, is prayer. If you flip to the beginning of the book of Colossians, you'll, you'll see that Paul begins the book of Colossians. He begins building this relationship with this church that he has never been to by talking about all the ways that he is praying for the church. He does this because you cannot pray for someone and not get a burden for them. It is simply impossible. You simply cannot pray for somebody and not grow in affection for them. This is why Jesus says to pray for your enemies in Matthew 5, 44. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Actually, Jesus doesn't say pray for your enemies. He actually says, love your enemies, which is hard to do, and he knows this, and you can't go straight from hating your enemy to loving them, and so he has to give us a practice, a mechanism that helps us to actually love our enemies, and the the tool he gives to move from hate to love for your enemy is prayer. Surprising, right? And so if prayer is the way in which we move from hating someone to loving someone, prayer for a brother or a sister, for somebody out in our uh, community that we know, that we want to care for, that we want to step into better relationship with. Prayer is a powerful, powerful tool. You cannot pray for somebody consistently and not like them a little bit. This is an encouragement. Begin to pray for people you see in this church and outside this church 
And I promise your relationship with them will grow and develop beautifully. It will. It, it will be inevitable. You cannot pray for somebody and not care about them. And as you pray for someone, that care and that concern will grow. It will develop. And you will naturally be drawn to that person. You will naturally not want to use them so that for what they can give you. But as you pray for them, you'll naturally want to simply serve and love them well. So pray for people is the first key. The second thing Paul does to try to build relationships is he attempts to get in physical proximity to people. He, t- he attempts to get physically close to people. Now, for those of you who have been paying attention through this series, this might sound a little funny to you because you know that Paul is in jail when he writes this letter. He is not actually capable of getting close to these people. He is locked up. He is behind bars. But notice what he does do here, in ver- beginning in verse 7 and moving all the way through verse 15. And I'm going to read all these names again, and it's going to be great. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him, right, to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is uh, one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you a greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. He, if he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and the servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. How many names does Paul drop here? Tychicus, Onesimus, uh, Aristarchus, Mark. <laughs> you, uh, Mark, that probably sounded like a weird name at that time, right? I can... <laughs> I. Uh, I kind of imagine uh, Tysicus going, Mark? What, what type of name is Mark? Anyways. Uh, Epaphras. Epaphras is the person who, uh, who precipitated the letter. That he essentially asked Paul to write this letter to the Colossian church. Luke, Demas, and Nympha. Eight or nine names, right? Maybe ten names. Paul can't be with the people, but he's going uh, to do the next best thing by sending his closest friends, to be with them. To be with them. And he is name-dropping all the friends that they have in common, right? Uh, We do this same thing all the time. If you know someone, if you don't know somebody, but you know that they're friends with your good friend, it makes it very easy to actually be friends with them, doesn't it? If you have a person in common with somebody else, it's very easy to be friends. This is why you will very often walk up to somebody and go, yeah, my name is so-and-so. I'm da-da-da's friend. Or my brother, you know my brother something-something, right? Because this helps us to make personal connections. There's this, uh, there's this thing about being physically close, right? There's this thing about having actually physically rubbed shoulders with another person that allows us to be in better relationship. Paul is trying to close this proximity gap. He knows that he's in prison. 
He knows that he's far from these people. He knows that relationship is difficult, but he's going to send his friends, and he's going to talk about the friends that they share in common, and he's going to talk about all of the ways in which he's attempting to be closer to this church. He is trying to get in physical close proximity as best he can while in prison to this church because he knows that proximity to one another builds relationship. And for us, the simple truth is we need to be together. The church needs to be together. It sounds stupid. It's so simple. But in order to build relationships, you need to be around people, right? We need to be around people. And if the church is called to love God and love people, where do you think a great place to get together in close physical proximity is? Man, you guys are smart. (laughs) Or I'm really good at leading questions. We need to be together, right? Uh, Do you know one of the greatest gifts you can give to this church as it grows and develops over the coming months? One of the greatest gifts you can give to this church as a person. Come 15 or 20 minutes early. Grab a cup of coffee, right? And talk to somebody for a little bit. That's one of the greatest gifts you can give to this church church. I'm serious. If you, uh, if you, the other thing you can do is you can stay long enough to have somebody just at least ask you to lunch before you rush out the door after I say grace and peace, right? This is a, a tangible, simple thing that you can do as a gift to this community, and I promise you will build relationships, right? A sad relationless lobby is a very sad thing indeed. And so, uh, let's make a promise to one another this morning. How's that sound? You want to do that? Uh, I promise, here's my end of the bargain, all right, because it's always good to have your end of the bargain. I promise to make sure that our coffee is on point. That's what I promise. I have numerous taste testers. They're working around the clock. They're taking little samples They're coming back and they're telling me, Nick, the pH is off. We need to fix it. Um, And then his name is Charlie. Uh, I know. My goodness. Uh, So that's my end of the bargain, right? And you promised to try to get here a little earlier than you usually do. How's that sound? And by getting here, uh, I promise, like I said, you will make more friends than you thought you would. I want people to get, and this is a real, just a real and true desire on my part, I want people who come into this church, uh, who might have never come into this church before this fall, to get literally smacked in the face by a loud and friendly lobby. (laughs) That would be, that is a prayer that I have, right? That they would literally be kind of blown back uh, by the life that they experience in the lobby. One of the things that I love best about seeing, about church in general, is seeing my friends. Uh, I remember when Ashley and I were in our first church in Des Moines, uh, right after we got married, uh, we loved those people really, really desperately. And uh, we could not wait to get there a little bit early to get a cup of coffee and just laugh for 30 minutes. I was usually there about three or four hours early because I had to get there at 5.30 to set up church every Sunday. But uh, after all the setup was done, I loved just being able to see my friends and catch up with them and talk with them. And when we left those people, 
Um, when we left those people in that place, uh, I cried a lot like I'm crying right now. Uh, because I knew that we were not going to get to do that with them anymore. And that hurt me. And I want that for you. And I want that for this church. Let's move on. And the key and final, <laughs> uh, the, the final key that Paul gives us to building strong relationships is communication, is communication. You simply can't have a relationship with someone without communication. After this, uh, in, in verse 16, Paul says this to the church, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from the Laodiceans. Laodicea was a church that was not far away from Colossae, and Paul wanted to strengthen all the, the relationship between these churches, as well as to strengthen his relationship with the church. And in order to do that, in order to build this strong relationship, he asks that these churches begin to communicate a little more, right? He wants them to be in on what he said to the Laodiceans, and he wants the Laodiceans to be in on what he said to the Colossians. He wants everybody to have all the information, to be fully informed. And for somebody like me, whose love language is information or input, uh, this, is a, this idea is very close to my heart. We have all been in a group or a circle of friends, right, before, and they, they all start talking about that thing they're doing on Friday, and you come to the realization that everybody here knows about that thing that we're doing on Friday except me. I must not be friends with these people, right? Everybody has that, everybody's had that experience. And the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that communication, information, is, the, is a building block of a healthy relationship. This is why when we say that in, within the context of marriage, communication is so very important. If you have a bad, bad communication in marriage, your marriage is probably not going to last because communication is vital to relationship, right? It's vital to relationship. Paul wants uh, no one to be in the dark here. He doesn't want to be any, anybody to be suspicious of anything. He wants to communicate well with the church to make sure that everybody feels empowered and valued. If you communicate well with people, they will feel empowered and valued. When you withhold information or communication, people do not feel empowered and valued, right? They feel like they're on the outside, right? They don't feel like they're on the in of a particular group or of a particular relationship. They feel in some real and true sense as though they are being pushed out. And, the, and communication, I will say, is one of the hardest aspects of relationship. Some of you are just naturally quiet and you don't talk that much. Some of you uh, maybe talk a little bit too much, but you don't actually communicate anything valuable. But I don't know about that. I don't know what happened over there. Um, I'm probably in the second group, just for the record. But, but communication is this highly important and valuable thing, and it's a kind of art that we need to learn and practice. Very often, communication isn't easy because it involves a little bit of conflict, because if you're communicating honestly about how you feel or what you think, very often that will create a little bit of tension, a little bit of friction, and working through that is a, is a central component of what it means to be in relationship, Right? So communication has all these different facets, and we could preach 18 messages on communication, but it is so very important. We have to communicate with one another. We have to be in relationship enough and value a relationship enough to communicate well. 
right? Communication becomes this vital component of what it means to be the church, what it means to be in relationship with other Christians. And, and being in relationship is an indispensable part of what it means to follow Jesus and to pursue his way. You know, uh, we simply cannot be rightly reconciled with God in a horizontal way, unless, uh, in a, sorry, in a vertical way, unless we are rightly related to God, to others in, in this kind of horizontal component. Too often in our day, we think, because we've so individualized our relationship with God, we believe that we can be rightly related to God, and yet all of our kind of horizontal relationships can be an utter mess. And the Bible would argue, and Paul goes to great lengths in other books like 1 Corinthians, to argue that if our relationships, if our horizontal relationships with other people are out of whack, that our relationship with God is actually in no good shape at all, right? that you can't actually be rightly related to God and poorly related to everyone else in your environment. We need, this, uh, we need this art of relationship. We need to grow up into people who learn the art of relationship well. We need, to, we need to listen to the biblical witness. We need to listen to the example of Paul in these passages. And we need to learn to be committed to relationship. We need to learn to be committed to one another. You know, when you're truly captured by the love of God, when the love of God is something that really grabs your heart and your mind, when you step into this reconciling relationship with the creator of the world, made possible by his death and resurrection, you simply can't neglect the fact that relationships matter. You just can't do it. You can't ignore the people around you. And you can't help but be filled with love for those people that you come into contact with. You cannot help it. One of my favorite authors says this. In this rescuing light, man for the first time recognizes God and his neighbor. The labyrinth of the life he has so far led falls to ruin. Man is free for God and his brother. He becomes aware that there is a God who loves him that a brother is standing at his side whom God loves as he loves him himself and that there together with his church he believes, he hopes, he loves. This is what it means to follow Jesus. What Nowen is talking about in that quote is, is salvation, right? In this rescuing light. In this rescuing light. If your relationship with Jesus is only about you and him, and it has no correlate to the relationships you have horizontally with other people, then it is not the relationship that Jesus wants you to have. It is not. He wants you to be rightly reconciled, or at least working towards reconciliation with all peoples, with all peoples you come in contact with. And Christians should be people who are uh, a little bit more advanced in this art of relationship, in this art this topic is kind of, I don't know, it's not really a hot button one, but I do know that many of us struggle with relationship. I do know that many of us are fearful of other people. I do know that many of us have been hurt and don't want to wager our hearts into another relationship. 
Maybe it was a family relationship that has hurt you. Maybe it's a friendship relationship that has hurt you. Maybe it's a relationship with a coworker. Maybe it's a relationship with, I don't know, anybody that has in some way, shape, or form harmed you and made you fearful of relationship. I want to pray for you this morning that the love of God would fill your heart and that you would uh, be willing to see and to know the love of God that he has for you and that he has for other people, and that you'd be willing uh, to risk and to step into a relationship. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just raise your hand and say, yeah, Nick, relationships, I need some help there. Wonderful, wonderful. It's true. It's a struggle. It's hard. It's not easy. And everyone will in some way, shape, or form let us down. But if Jesus is a purely relational God, if, if God himself is pure in relationship, relationship in the Trinity, then we as the church are called to be relational. So let me pray for you. God, I pray for these people here today. Maybe, the, maybe they've been hurt by relationship. Maybe they just have some kind of social anxiety and it's hard. But God, I ask that as uh, we walk out of this place today and as we journey together this fall as a church, God, that you would help us to step out from the, the pain of past hurts, that you would help us to step in to new relationships, that you would help us to pray for the people that we see around us, that we might want to be drawn into relationship with them, that you would that you would help us to put ourselves in closer proximity to the people who maybe we've been distancing ourselves from in order that we might step into better relationship. And God, I ask that you would help us to open our mouths, that we would be people who communicate well and true, that, we, that, our, that our conversation would be seasoned with salt, that it would be uh, true and right and loving. God, would you help us above all to be a community, a church, a group of people who will practice the art of relationship, that we, that we bear burdens with one another, that we, that we are long-suffering, that we, that we speak the truth in love, that we engage with one another in, in the real substance of our lives and not just the surface stuff that we would engage with one another on the level of brokenness and hurt and pain and not just on the surface level of um, what you had for dinner. Jesus, would you help us to be that type of community? Would you help us to be those type of Christians? And by so doing, would we provide probably the greatest witness to the reality of God that exists in our world by simply be being people who embody the love goodness of Jesus in our relationships with other human beings. Jesus, would you be with us here today, and would you help us to follow you well into this adventure we call being in relationship with other flawed human beings? We love you, Jesus, and we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name. Amen, and amen, and amen. Thank you.